welcome to Trainers Talking Truths. This is an ISSA podcast dedicated to exploring the fitness industry and uncovering the whys and hows of personal training. To do that, we'll talk directly to the industry experts and certified trainers. We'll dig into fitness programming, business tactics, nutrition, and more. You'll even hear from current training clients who offer insight from the other side. We've got the fitness industry covered, so turn up the volume and enjoy the drive. Hello, world. Welcome back for another ISSA podcast, Trainers Talking Truths. I am your co-host, Jenny Scott, here with my co-host, Dan the Man Duran. How you doing, Dan? I'm busting this, Jenny. I'm busting this. <laughs> nice. We're going to bust them out one today. of my favorite TV shows. On, do you remember that TV show, Mythbusters? Yes. 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 That's what, I that's what we are that. <laughs> with you being loving science so much. That was a cool show. It was. They were super fun. But the best part was they got to like reenact all these things, like the race car stuff or like whatever it was. They got to redo it in a lab. It, it looked like so much fun. That was like my and dream I, job when I was a kid. <laughs> I think they retired with both arms and both legs too. So I know all fingers, well all toes. Yeah. Intact. yeah. <laughs> well, the myths that we see as fitness professionals are a little bit different. Thank goodness we don't have to go blow things up in a lab or maybe it's unfortunate. I'm not sure. Um, but that's kind of what we want to talk about today, Dan. This is part one of two parts where we're going to talk about some myths that fitness professionals will come across, right? Clients will come to us with all kinds of crazy stuff and think that, you know, they read it in a magazine or so-and-so told them this and it's the truth. So we're going to talk about some common myths that you might come across as far as fitness and exercise today. Next time we'll be talking about nutrition, um, but more importantly than the myths, how can you help address it with a client, right? How can you break it down for them to make it simple for them to understand what the truth is or what they should be focusing on instead, right? So have you ever come across a client, Dan, like, can you think of like the most outrageous thing a client has ever said to you? Well, I can think of the most outrageous thing a person has said. And they walked into the club where I was a fitness director. I happened to be behind the counter. Uh, and they said, I need to lose 20 pounds by next weekend. I'm going to the beach with some oh my God. <laughs> So I would say that's the most outrageous thing I've heard. And it probably is not that far from things that you and I have heard from clients' requests. Yeah, it's that's a lot of like unrealistic expectations, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We did not meet that expectation, nor did we even try. No, you can't. Like, where do you even begin with that? <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely a common one. This is definitely yeah. a common oh, for one. sure. People who have no idea how long it really takes. And when they hear one to two pounds per week for average weight loss, um, they're like appalled because why does it take so long? Well, I mean, if you want to do it healthfully and in a way that your body can maintain, yeah, it's going to take a while. <laughs> You have to. I mean, I actually lost, I don't know if you know this, Dan, I lost 60 pounds about 12 years ago and it took me six months. I was working with a trainer. I was exercising three days a week. That's all. Cause I owned a business and I was super busy at the time. Um, but I was working out three days a week and I had a really like pretty solid meal plan. I'm not going to lie. I went out and drank on the weekends and stuff. I did the things that everybody else does, but it took me about six months to lose that 60 pounds and it changed my life. And that's what made me become a trainer because I was so excited, the transformation that I went through and I saw that it is possible and I fell in love with what the human body could do. So exercise, nutrition, it's all super important to me. And it's, it's, it's important to me to educate people on the facts, right? And of course it's science-based, which means it's changing and evolving all the time. 
Agreed. Agreed. That is a fascinating story. I had heard a part of that, Jenny, but I didn't get the timelines. And if you do the math and what Jenny said, one to two pounds a week, that's spot on. And that's the, that's, that's the key to, to sustainability. And by the way, you want to have a, a adult beverage on the weekends, so be it. And we're going to talk about law of thermodynamics, calories in and calories out and sustainability, um, including our next episode. Because if it's not something you can stick to, if you're depriving yourself of everything, it's not going to last very long. Absolutely. I always think of, I saw, I don't, well, I didn't watch much TV growing up, Dan, but I saw somewhere Fran Drescher <laughs> in the nanny said everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so I think of that all the time. I'm pretty sure she's not the first person who said that, but <laughs> she's the first person I heard say it. <laughs> I like it a lot. All right, Dan. So myth number one or the thing that clients come to us, the first thing that you can only focus on building muscle or losing fat, not both at the same time. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it starts with, you know what our favorite answer is, Jenny, depends. Yes. So, you know, there's, the, the, I, I assume this means simultaneously. So, you know, I want to gain muscle, lose fat at the same time. Before we jump into the, any of the science of it, I, I, I will share what probably many of our listeners have experienced, and maybe you haven't experienced this with a client yet, but if somebody's newer to exercise, to program design and go into a gym and strength training and, 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 and you know, cleaning up their eating and so forth, uh, it's very common to do both and to do it uh, very well initially in a training program. And yet we know that through body fat testing, right? We have to be careful with weight because we're volumizing cells and they're adding water. And so the weight may not move around a whole lot initially, but you're dropping body fat, you're building muscle. You've got more muscle fibers being recruited than ever before. Uh, they are now uh, hydrated, well hydrated. And so they're, the, the volume of water and fluid starts to increase. So they start to swell. You start to get swole right away in those, those <laughs> first couple of months. And, and the body fat is being used as a fuel, they usually largely due to some nutrition changes, and they see amazing results. But then science takes over, and we definitely have to be strategic in that. Absolutely. So I always relate this back to the principles of fitness. So those principles, they are principles, right? They're not up to you and me. Um, we didn't make these up. Um, but the principle of specificity, the said principle, the um, specific adaptation to impose demands, a lot of these principles explain that your body, you should be focused on one training goal at a time, right? So for example, if your training goal is weight loss, and you're lifting weights or resistance training, something that to your point is new to you, but you've never done it before, but you're also not necessarily restricting, but you're um, keeping your calories in balance, right? Maybe you're adding a little bit of cardio training to increase your caloric expenditure, right? And create that negative energy balance. More calories out than calories in will help you lose weight. But if you're adding resistance training in there too, yes, you might see some muscle growth, right? So if you did your body fat, composition. To your point, you can't just weigh yourself, right? You have no idea what's going on in the inside. Um, lots of stuff could be happening. Um, but if you took your body fat percentage, you might see that your muscle mass goes up a little bit and your body fat comes down a little bit, but your training is specifically focused on weight loss. So yes, you can see both. And to, your, to, John, or to Dan's point, you can see it relatively quickly and early in a program, but it's kind of a side effect 
of the training, right? You can't technically do one or the other. I always tell people focus on one, then the other. If you want to gain a bunch of muscle, but you have maybe 40 pounds of body fat that you want to lose, lose that body fat first, see what you actually look like under there, and then decide what you want to change. Because otherwise, when people do it the other way around, you end up looking like no offense, but you look like a power lifter, right? Those people are really, really strong, tons of muscle mass, but they also probably have a little bit more body fat than they need and they feel fluffy, right? They don't feel like they look the way they want to and it's confusing. And a lot of people can get a little thrown off by that. Spot on. And, and to your point about specificity, uh, that's where periodization comes in. So, mm -hmm. you know, we can look at linear periodization and volume and intensity and so forth, uh, which is great, but you can also periodize your nutrition and periodize your goal. So it could be for the next two months, I'm gonna focus on dropping X amount of pounds of body fat. And then for the next two months, I'm gonna to try to add in a couple of pounds of muscle because it is specific. So you can periodize, you could, you could do it month by month if that really uh, was something you wanted to do. But, but you know, understanding, just like you said, Jenny, you're gonna get the, the results that you're training for. And if you could be specific in it, and that includes being able to just break it out and map it, you're going to get a faster result than trying to do both at the same time. Absolutely. And I'm actually glad you said that, Dan, because periodization is huge. Not only do we use it to create our programs and create a plan like in our head, but for those of you guys out there listening, um, especially if you're new to the industry and maybe if you're experienced and maybe you've just never done this, no matter where you work, when a new person sits down in front of you and they're about to sign up or pay for something from you, you should be like, you should have this mastered where you can sit down and on a piece of paper, one piece of paper, write out, okay, these first four weeks, this is what we're going to be focused on. Month two, this is what we're going to focus on. Month three, right? And if they have, like you said, that that person came in and said, I want to lose 20 pounds next week. Well, if we're losing one to two pounds a week, that's about 10 weeks worth of a program in your head right away. You should know, okay, I have at least 10 weeks to work with this person. Let's round it up to 12, right? That's three months that you should be working with this person. You need to be able to articulate that on paper and show them, write it down, show them, hey, this is what it's going to take to get to your, to, to your goal. It's going to take us three months. It's going to take us six months, right? Because now when it comes to pay for something, now you can expect that they know the plan and you won't have to fight with them at the end of month one or the end of month two to continue their plan with you, right? And to continue to pay for your services. You said, hey, Dan, you already signed up for this. You know what the plan is. It's going to take us six months to get there. Do you want to get there or not? Right. And now that they know that that's the expectation, you now have that person on the hook for three months, six months, whatever it was you laid out. That's exactly how it was. I won't say sold, but that's exactly how it was sold to me. And so I had the expectation that I was with my trainer for six months. Right. And nothing less. And I put all that on my credit card. I paid for it all up front. <laughs> I was like, yes, get me to my goal. Right. Best change I ever made. So we have to be able to set that expectation, but people out there who do sales and hate it, trust me, I am not a salesperson. I don't love it, right? But this is how you can do it easily. Focus on the program. How, what am I going to provide you and how long is it realistically going to take me? And that's what I need for you to commit to. Absolutely nailed it, Jenny. And, and you know, when somebody comes to you with that goal, whether it's a date or a, an amount, uh, amount of pounds of weight or a athletic ability. I want to be able to run faster, jump higher, whatever that thing is, that's where periodization, that is your macro cycle. You go, okay, yeah. here's where we end. Now it doesn't mean you end because the, the goal is they fall in love with you. They fall in love with the experience. They fall in love with the results and you have a client for a very long term, but you've got to show them you have a plan, like you said. So yeah. that becomes that cycle and you just work backwards. You just work backwards. 
show them how things are going to change. Show them, uh, write it down on how the phase is going to change. The training variables are going to change. The equipment is going to change. And that should excite them. And they're like, they're, they're thinking, this person knows exactly what they're talking about. They're mapping out this whole roadmap. And hopefully they pop down a credit card like Jenny did. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the simplest way. Plus guys, it keeps you organized as a trainer, right? So now you just wrote this out, give them a copy of it, make a, make a photocopy or take a picture of it, right? Or let them take a picture of it. Somebody keep the original, but now you have their plan right there. Just add to it. And it makes your programming so much easier. So many people think programming is hard. It's a little time consuming if you do it right, but it shouldn't be hard. Your overall plan should already be laid out when you start a program. So you should already have that idea. I'm super weird about that. I, with my sports teams, I, as soon as I get to a semester or the summer, whatever it is that whatever cycle we're in, I'll take one whole sheet of paper in my notebook and I'll write out what week, week by week, what are they doing? Right. What does their upper body training look like? What is their plyometric training? What, like, what is all the sections? And I write it out and it looks like a big old table. And then each week when I go to program, I just flipped to that. And I'm like, what week are we on? Sweet. Now I know what to program. Right. I don't have to think about it because I already thought about it. So that should help you guys as you program. I know I just went off the rails with that, but hopefully that helps somebody. Out there. <laughs> well, here's the thing. And I'm sure there's listeners up to me. That's the most exciting part of yeah. training somebody is the plan and the periodization. But but in that, when you're showing that, again, what is their goal, right? We always have to come back to that. And if we're talking about build muscle, lose fat, let's just assume that is the goal. Part of that periodization plan can be this month, we're going to focus on losing X amount of pounds. This month, we're going to focus on adding in some strength that we're going to take that strength and, and we're going to use that muscle to help burn some additional calories in the following month as we work on dropping a little more body fat. So again, you can do both, but planning is key. Absolutely. Yep. Have a plan. Focus on what you're doing. It, All right. I'm going to jump in real quick. Oh, on go that, ahead. Jenny, yeah. that, that here's a, a little aside, and I don't think I ever mentioned this in our conversations. I know I've, we've talked a bit about my triathlon journey and, uh, you know, I started doing them uh, at a very late age and then went up to doing some pretty long uh, events. And I actually got into triathlon because Somebody said, you can't run or do endurance and be muscular. And I have been telling people that for decades. Nope, you either are going to run or you're going to be buff. It ain't going to be buff. You know, you can't. <laughs> so make up your mind. And I would tell my clients that, you know, if you want it, well, I'd like to run. Well, you can't run if you want to build muscle. And I started learning a lot of science around this, this place in my, in my career. And I, I started doing the math and, and reading about, you know, uh, amino acids and reading about protein and energy systems and law thermodynamics. And I, I, I finally concluded, yeah, you can actually do that. You won't win any gold medals, but you can actually be a triathlete or an endurance athlete and be muscular. So let me try it. Yeah. And that's what got me into it. So I was doing Ironmans at 200 pounds and, and, and that, that's my cycle. I cycle to build muscle in the winter. Cycle into endurance training in the spring, cycle it each year, and you can absolutely do both. Yeah. So how did your nutrition change? I know we'll talk about nutrition in another podcast, but how did your nutrition change when you did that to support each of those goals? It, it, very, very good question. So, well, first of all, calories uh, burn changes dramatically, right? Mm -hmm. So in the off, call it off season from triathlon, when I'm trying to build muscle, I have to cut way back on calories because I'm not burning a couple thousand, uh, two, three, four, five thousand calories a day in endurance training. So that's number one is, is be ready to tone that back down. 
Uh, the other is, is really the carbohydrate intake, so the, the ratios, so carbohydrates to fats and proteins. Uh, we know that we use more fats in endurance training. However, we need calories, and then we need those carbohydrates as well to build muscle to stimulate protein synthesis. So the timing of when I ate and what I ate also changes pretty significantly. Um, I'm a big guy. I, I start my triathlon training usually between 220 and 225 pounds, and I like to race under 210. So part of my strategy is in those endurance events, because I'm not burning a lot of carbohydrates, I rely more on proteins. I rely mm -hmm. on BCAA uh, drinks. I'll drink branch chain amino acids in my water instead of Gatorade or something like that and go out and do long training events so that I can get much better at, at pulling from my fat stores as I'm trying to cut weight to go into the triathlon world. So it's all science. Everything you do, if you just kind of start, you know, reading about what does, you know, what does what in the body uh, and connect the dots, you absolutely can do both. Absolutely. And that last thing you said right there, Dan, that's the key. Go out and learn about it because there's no single source, you guys, where you're going to learn all of this information. Dan and I have been in this industry for a long time. For me, not nearly as long as Dan, but like I've been in it for 12 years. I've done a ton of my own research. There's some great resources out there. Buy books, buy other people's textbooks and read them. I can't tell you how many textbooks I have on this bookshelf next to me um, that I've read, but never took the test for because I just wanted to know the information. But if you have questions about things like nutrient timing or how does, how is protein affected or your muscle mass affected by endurance training? Look it up, right? Ugh, my parents used to say that to me all the time. We had Encyclopedia Britannica <laughs> and we'd be like, mommy, what does this mean? She'd say, look it up, <laughs> right? That's and right. We, we implore you guys go out and find your own research, look it up, learn about it. Um, especially if it's questions that people continue to ask you, go find out the answers, all right? Educate yourself as you move through this. I think it was Albert Einstein that said, you don't have to know all the answers. You need to know where to find them. And so, yeah. you know, that's what that bookshelf is for. Uh, don't just count on Google because that can take you all kinds of weird places. Make yeah. sure you're reading, <laughs> reading good research uh, publications. The, the other thing I'm going to add to that is everybody's different. So mm -hmm. we all react differently to different foods. We all react differently to carbohydrates and fats and proteins, et cetera. We all react differently to uh, exercise. Some of us are born with genetically with more type one fibers. Uh, than others. So we're all different in how we operate. So also don't be thinking one size fits all. You, you might get the science, but you still have to, 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 I know this sounds a little weird, but play around with it a little bit to find out what the best result is, because just because something worked for you or worked for client A does not mean it's going to work for client B, especially when you start looking at uh, males versus females, it gets, it gets very different. Uh, when, it, when you're trying to apply new strategies or intermittent fasting and things like that uh, is very different between the two genders. So definitely be aware of that. No two people are the same. Absolutely. That principle also applies to training for like somebody who's been training long-term, right? So when you're training for say, a, as like for like me, a bodybuilder, and I've been doing it for 11 years now, my training now is very different than when I was trying to put on a bunch of muscle. Right. I'm not trying to do, I'm trying to maintain the muscle that I have and maybe shape it a little bit, but I don't need more of it. If you saw me, you'd be like, well, you're a big girl. <laughs> I'm not a small person. Right. I don't want more muscle mass. I just want it to look a certain way. Um, same thing as somebody goes through their training program, you guys. So if you set up a six month training program for them and Sue loses 30 pounds in the first, you know, three months, but she wants to keep going. 
her training in three months when she's down 30 pounds is going to look very different than it does in the beginning. Cause now she should be stronger. She should have better endurance, right? Her body might tolerate food a little differently. Um, and she can move probably ho- hopefully a little better. So her training is going to look very different. It's probably going to be a little bit more advanced and her body has adapted to the training that she used to do. So her heart rate may not get as high, right? Her physiological responses, her the way her body um, adapts to the stimulus may be different. It will likely be different three months in. So you have to adjust the, the program. And that's one thing I feel like a lot of people forget to do is to check progress periodically. So when you're laying out that plan on day one for that client, you better tell them when you're checking in so that they know, all right, put it on a calendar, have them put it in their phone or on their calendar. So they know exactly when you're checking in because what is not measured cannot be changed. Let's do it guys. It's time for another ISSA rapid review. Arthur Lyon had this to say about our certified personal trainer course. Great overall service and the ability to ask for help from the coaches that are assigned to you. I loved this course. Thanks Arthur, we love having you with us. Very, very well said. What's myth two, Jenny? Let's bust some myths. So our next one, oh gosh, I hear this one all the time. This one's simple, but <laughs> I don't know why people say this. People say muscle weighs more than fat. <laughs> somebody, I, somebody said that to me the other day. Muscle weighs more than fat. Ha ha ha. I looked at them. And I said, uh, try again. I was like, no, if it's a pound of fat and a pound of muscle, they're both one pound, right? There's nothing different about the weight, the space that they take up is different, right? Body fat takes up way more space than one pound of muscle. Um, so they're, they weigh the same, but how they look on your body and how they're distributed and whether you're tall or short, that kind of stuff plays into it, right? You hear people all the time like, oh, I gained five pounds and this person's like six, four. And you're like, I cannot see five pounds on you. No. And I have friends that are five, two, and they say, I gained five pounds. I'm like, oh girl, I see it. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh yes. Yeah, and right there on your left leg. <laughs> It looks different on different people, but yeah, that's why, like you said earlier, Dan, body composition is the most important part of this. Not necessarily somebody's weight. Yes. Your weight might be indicative of things. Um, one of my friends said it the best. She weighs herself daily and uh, has a scale that logs it for her. It's just a marker. She uses it as an indicator, right? She can tell what time of the month it is, whether she's gone potty in the last two days, how much water she's had. Like she can tell a lot from her weight, but she doesn't rely on that number. Um, cause it can fluctuate what six to 10 pounds, isn't it per day per person. And it depends on a lot of things. Like literally, have you gone to the bathroom? How much water have you had? How much food have you eaten today? Are you stressed out? Is it hot outside? Right. Yeah. All kinds of, did you work out? Today? Yeah. A lot of things can affect it. So you can't rely on just your weight. You have to know your body composition and no single scale or device is going to be a hundred percent accurate. Unfortunately, unless we dissect you, which is weird. Um, but I have a scale that does my body fat. Is it accurate? No, I'm in season bodybuilder. I can tell you my body fat is below 20%, but it tells me my body fat is at like 25% every time. And I'm like, that's fine scale. You say what you want to say. I'm just looking for a trend. Is it going up or is it going down? That's all I care about trends, (laughs) right? Has anybody, have you ever heard that one before when you were working in the clubs? Absolutely. Absolutely. The other one I hear, which is it's tied to this is somewhat true. And, and that is that fat or muscle burns more calories than fat. Yeah. Now there is something to that because, you know, we have a little, uh, oh shoot, I just drew a blank up with Jenny, uh, the little fat burners in a muscle cell. Uh, you can have a lot of them and you can add them through exercise. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Mitochondria? 
Yes, thank you. The little baby mitochondria, you forgot about little, the mitochondria? Those little stoves, <laughs> those little fireplaces, right? So a muscle fiber is a muscle cell, right? One big old long cell. And through training, different types of training, we can add mitochondria. Unlike like a nucleus or something like that, where you're technically supposed to only have one, you can now have a whole bunch of these guys. And mm -hmm. they burn calories. So in theory, yeah, you could burn more calories from muscle than fat. But BMR is primarily a calculation based on moving mass through space. So if you have to move X amount of pounds through space, you're going to burn X amount of calories. So there is something to that. There is something to that, but don't think that, okay, I'm adding muscle. Now I can start eating a lot more. It's, it's not like that. It's, it's almost neg not negligible there. I spit it out. <laughs> Yeah. And it's funny that you bring that up because I remember when I used to work in the clubs, I say it like that. When I used to work in fitness clubs, um, that was something that they always taught us um, to say to people, right? Is that yeah. you have this much muscle mass, right? And we, they didn't even have us do a machine to calculate your body fat. I could tell we could estimate, right? And then I could go from there. I could do the little quick math on where your body fat was just using the little handheld things, which are super inaccurate, right? They're off by like seven to 9%. Um, but we would basically tell them your muscle burns between 30 and 50 calories a day per pound on your body, whereas body fat burns between three and five calories per day. So you want more muscle mass because it's going to burn more calories. And then we'd calculate like a rough estimate of their BMR using that number, right? 30 calories per pound of muscle if you're relatively inactive and up to 50 calories if you're you know, training for a triathlon or something. And we gave them a range of how many calories. So that's great for estimating. And again, for somebody who's a beginner and maybe has no idea how many calories they should be eating, that's a great estimator, but there are definitely more accurate ways to calculate somebody's BMR considering their activity, their body size, their muscle mass, all these things, um, and their energy needs, including another club that I used to work at used to do the resting metabolic rate testing where they put the mask on you and you sit in the little chair for 20 minutes and they can tell whether your body's burning carbs or fat and approximately how many calories and do the math. Um, and I actually did that when I worked at, um, this gym and it was interesting, but a lot of people don't take the time to go get that kind of testing done. And that's the ultimate, uh, if you've had that done, that's definitely about as good as you can get. So yeah, yeah. I've never had that done. I always wondered, cause I, I think I'm off. <laughs> yeah. It's super interesting to me and there's places. Okay. So I'm going to call out a name and it's an awesome facility. I used to work there lifetime fitness. They're from out of Minnesota, but they have clubs all over the country fabulous, huge, massive gyms with all this equipment, all this stuff, right? They have basketball and kids club and sauna, spa, swimming, all this, like everything you could possibly want. This place is an experience when you go there. It's not just a gym, um, but they have registered dietitians on staff. They have people who do metabolic testing like this. So it's available to people. Um, and then there's also a lot of clinics out there. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, somebody actually, a friend of mine, who's a trainer messaged me last week and said, Hey, do you know somebody that does bod pod that little, um, the air displacement um, uh, for body composition? And I was like, girl, Google it, like Google bod pod in Arizona. And like, all these places came up. There's plenty of places that do this kind of testing and it's relatively inexpensive. And it might even be covered by your insurance. No asking, no giddy, right? Just ask um, and find out. But I did this thing, Dan, side note, when I used to work um, for a university here in Phoenix, they had a thing with our health insurance where you could go to the Mayo Clinic up in North Phoenix and it was like a full day physical. So they gave you the day off from work and you go up there and you bounce around the hospital. You go take all these tests. You do a bod pod, you get blood draws. And then at the end of the day, you sit down with a physician who looks at all your results from all the tests you did that day and explains everything to you. Wow. Right. And I didn't pay a penny for it. It was included with my insurance once a year. 
these things are available. You ask, you know, Giddy, do you learn that from mama too? No, I think that was from a Disney movie. (laughs) I think I'm going to steal it. I like it. I say that all the time. No ASCII, no Giddy, right? Close mouth, (laughs) don't get fed. (laughs) Yeah, but there's all kinds of resources out there for that. What other myths can we bust today, Kenny? So one that I always hear people say, and I'm sure people out there have heard this one. Do you need to do cardio training to lose body fat or to lose Ah, weight? Yeah, they're like, oh, I have to go do cardio. I'm like, ew, why? I don't even run when being chased. (laughs) Like when you tell me about your triathlons, I'm like, oh, damn, that's you, boo. I am, I would rather eat less and that's, that's hard for me because I love me some food, but I'd rather eat less than do cardio. <laughs> I, I love this question. And before we even jump into it, uh, to, to quote, well, science that one of my mentors always said, all exercise is cardio folks. Yeah. All exercise is cardio. If your heart's beating and your lungs are filling them, your, 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 your blood with oxygen, it's cardio. So whether you're doing squats, dumbbell curls, or walking or jogging on the treadmill, it's cardio. All exercise is cardio. So that's the first thing we wanted to find because when we start talking about how we can burn calories or how we can burn fat, it doesn't have to be getting on a bike, getting on a treadmill. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be those things, what we traditionally call cardio. We need to burn calories, raise heart rate. There's lots of ways to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, when I explain this to clients is that it comes down to energy balance, right? We hear that term all the time, but what does it mean? Yes, it's related a lot to nutrition. So we'll talk about it in our next episode, but energy balance is calories in versus calories out at its most fundamental, right? At the simplest form. Of course, there's so much more to it than that, but to lose body fat, You have to have the right macronutrient balance, right? Be giving your body enough protein, enough carbohydrates, enough fat to support its processes, right? We can't cut out any of those macronutrients, but more importantly, you need to be burning more calories or expending more calories than you are consuming. And that's really what it comes down to. So if you're resistance training, like you said, everything's cardio, but you're also burning calories when you resistance train, right? So you don't have to do high intensity interval training. You can go resistance train. It's just going to take you a little longer to burn the same amount of calories, But bottom line, if you're burning calories and you're controlling, not limiting, controlling your calorie intake, and then when you control your calorie intake, you can start thinking about macronutrients, right? Start high level and then work your way down to the small minutia. Um, Then that's what's going to encourage your body to burn body fat, right? I was, uh, I always, okay, this is my simplest way of explaining it to people. Our bodies don't have a brain like our brain does, right? Our, our, our cells don't think like our brain does. If you don't eat today, your body says, oh, oh my gosh, we're starving. I don't know when we're going to eat again, right? And your metabolism starts to slow down. All kinds of things slow down in your body. Um, your body holds on to water. Like your body just, it's a self-preserving machine, right? If you're constantly eating what you need to, you're being good to your body, you're recovering, you're drinking plenty of water, you're eating properly, your body's just chugging along right? It has no issues. Um, but our body, it needs nutrients every single day. And it doesn't know that, oh, it's okay. Dan's going to eat tomorrow. It says, oh my God, we're starving. Shut down. <laughs> right. Cause isn't it the rule of two, you can go two minutes without air, two days without water and two months without food, two months, two weeks. One it's three. That's what I learned. 
three, three little threes. Yeah, three, yeah, three, you can hold your mouth yeah. breath for three minutes. Well, you don't hold your breath, but if somebody were to <laughs> hold your breath for you for three minutes. <laughs> I don't think I've ever tried. Speaking of, side note, has anybody here ever tried to like hold their breath as long as possible? I don't, I'm scared. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was a, a, a competitive free driver when I was younger. So what? We, we did a lot of exercises. To, Dan, you've done it all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but the, the other piece to that I'll add Jenny is, you know, when you talk about that stress response, right. I call it locking it down. You're just locking that fat down saying, you know, like a bear, I need to hibernate yeah. because I don't know what I'm going to eat again. Another piece of that equation that's, that's, that's the same concept is too much cardio also elevates cortisol, which is mm-hmm. what creates that response that Jenny's talking about. So too much cardio is stressful on the system. We're adding a lot of cardiovascular training, any training for that matter, but you can't strength train for six hours a day. So the people that, well, maybe Jenny can, but if, you, <laughs> if, you're, if you're adding all of that cardiovascular training, uh, you're adding stress to your system. And that is very, very common. I'm sure in trainers that have been training for a while, uh, you have, you know, people in the club who you see on that treadmill every day yeah. and you, or people that sign up for a marathon because they're going to lose all this weight and it does not work. Why? Because they're doing too much. Like Jenny said, they're not eating enough. They put themselves in such a caloric deficit that they can't lose weight. So quick uh, 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 true story, how it works for me. When I'm training, I have to drop all my body fat at the very beginning of the season. So mm-hmm. like when the sun comes out because I don't work out in the cold. Uh, so like March, April, I'm gonna start dropping body fat as I ramp into the harder part of the season, July, August, because once I'm doing high volume of training and I'm, you know, I'm talking about 20,000 calories a week worth of training, no problem. The, I've, I've done 35 hours a week of, of running, biking and swimming in yes. preparation for events. So you take that times about 800 calories per hour. That's quite a bit. I cannot lose body fat. I cannot lose body fat at that point because it's just locked down. The body's stressed out. It's getting really good at doing three things and nothing else. Yeah. So that stress and, and remember, stress doesn't just come from exercise. It comes from, like you said, Jenny, not getting the macro and micronutrients that we need. It comes from emotional stress. It comes from you know, uh, stress in the workplace, stress at your family, stress, what any type of stress, your body doesn't know the difference. And as soon as you start elevating that stress and elevating that cortisol, you start locking down that fat and calories don't matter anymore. And usually, what do we do? We cut the calories. Oh, I'm not losing weight. I'm going to eat less, which just acerbates. So bad. Yeah, exacerbates it. it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I always tell people cardio is a tool, right? It's not something you should be doing every single day unless you're training for something that requires you to do it every single day, right? It's something that you use to burn extra calories, but it shouldn't be everything that you do. Um, But again, I'm not a cardio fan. I do it when I have to, but as soon as I don't have to do it anymore, catch me outside. (laughs) And and, and that, that brings up another great point is what is that person's goal? Maybe they want to lose lose body fat and improve cardiovascular fitness, or they want to lose body fat and they want to run their first 5k. Now we have to be, start thinking about, okay, yeah, cardio is going to be, you know, ramping up the cardio a bit. Here's going to be appropriate. Or I want to do my first half marathon and I want to lose 10 or 20 pounds of body fat. Okay. Then we need to make sure there's some harmony here, but if that is not what they want to do and they only want to run when chased by dogs, then you have a (laughs) lot of other options 
for, for, for burning those calories, stimulating EPOC, which Jenny, I'm sure you're going to talk about uh, is high intensity training. There's other ways to burn calories, even when you're not working out. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know what they say, if you want to get good at something, you got to do it. So if you want to go to get good at running away from dogs, you got to go run away from dogs. Ah, go run away from dogs. <laughs> I got three that I could stick after you. <laughs> They'll probably lick you to death when they catch you though. And they will catch you. <laughs> Tell us about uh, high intensity interval training, because I'd love to hear this, the, you know, the, the science behind it from you, because you, you work so closely in these fields. Uh, it's 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 a very effective method for for cardiovascular training slash weight loss. Uh, I see it. I'm not a competitive bodybuilder, but I know that it's used a lot in those circles. Uh, rather than the old school, throw on the hood, get up at five, walk on the treadmill for two hours before you eat. Um, yeah. <laughs> I suspect that's kind of out now, or maybe some people still do it. I think some people still do steady state cardio. I yeah. think it depends on what your body can handle. Cause like you said before, everybody's different. Um, I've done both methods before. My body hates steady state cardio. I destroy protein. Like my muscle breakdown was ridiculous with steady state cardio. Cause my body was just like, look, I'm hungry. So I'm going to go ahead and eat this real quick. Um, <laughs> I'm going to eat this bicep. Give yeah. I'm going to go ahead and eat these thighs real quick. So I lost <laughs> a lot of muscle mass doing that for a couple of shows. So I don't do that anymore. And then there's Tabata, which is a completely different thing. Nobody truly does Tabata. Let's be real. If you look it up, go look it up. That's your homework guys. Go look up what Tabata truly is. It lasts four minutes because that's how intense it is. You cannot do more than that. Right. But you're working at absolutely maximal levels when you do Tabata high intensity interval training, hence the word high intensity. It is also high intensity. Technically, technically it should, you should be working at 80% of your max or greater, whether it's resistance training, a cardio modality, whatever it is you're doing during those intervals, you should be working at just south of your maximum for the time that you're doing it. And then you re recover somewhere between 30 and 50% of your maximum. So it's not a complete rest when you do interval training, it's a relative rest. Um, but most people don't work at that intensity to get to high intensity interval training, but you can torch calories in a really short amount of time. Say you spend 15 to 20 minutes doing that. Um, you can burn a lot more calories than if you spent 20 minutes doing steady state cardio, because you're your heart rate's higher, right? Your breathing rate is higher. Your metabolic rate is higher during those bouts of activity if the intensity is where it needs to be. So like when you're looking at a regular client, like my mom, love her to death, 74 years old. I'm not gonna have her do high intensity intervals because for her 80 to 90%, is it, it's not gonna kill her, but it might come close, <laughs> right? Nor does she have a desire to train like that. Um, she's not training for anything other than just chilling. She's retired. She's hanging out with her little dogs. Right. Um, if it's somebody who maybe is an athlete or somebody who has a little bit more strength and coordination and a little bit more mobility, then yes, you can challenge them with that. But not every client is going to want to or need to do high intensity interval training. And the key is, do they want to like the average client that we're going to see probably doesn't want to train at that intensity. Um, but yeah, you could talk to them about circuit training regular interval training where maybe the intensity isn't as high, but they're changing the intensity as they move through the intervals um, to the, with the key, the point being to burn more calories to focus on their fat. But then also they got to have all the other things in place, right? All their nutrition, their rest, their recovery, all those things also need to be in place because you can't just have one without the other. And, and, and it's been my experience with, well, oh, by the <laughs> way, uh, ditto on the Tabata. Yeah, 99% of the Tabata classes or Tabata this or Tabata that that you hear, they're not Tabata. <laughs> but 
Yeah, it's not Tabata. Yeah, but but if you really want to do Tabata, uh, iTunes has some Tabata songs. And I have a, cu a couple ACDC songs, and that's awesome. It tells you when to start, tells you when to stop. Your workout's done in no time. And if you like <laughs> ACDC, it's a bonus. But what has been my experience is when doing high-intensity interval training, people tend to not work hard enough in the hard parts and recover enough in the recovery parts. Mm -hmm. So they kind of stay in that gray zone. And that's really common in a group class because you put yeah. eight people together. We all go, our heart rate goes up at different speeds and it all comes down at different speeds. And unless everybody's wearing a heart rate monitor or tracking their own individual heart rate, it's real tough to go to a class and actually do high intensity interval training. Yeah. You're not going to work hard enough or you're not going to recover enough. Yeah. And like you said, you need the devices. You need to be tracking your heart rate because technically it's based on your percentage max heart rate um, that you should be working off of for true high intensity intervals. And I used to work in uh, a company. Can I say it? I used to work for Orange Theory. Loved it. Fabulous workouts. Um, so if you've never checked them out, you guys go get your free class in, sign up, whatever. But they're phenomenal. Great workouts. But everybody in there was encouraged, not required, encouraged to wear a heart rate monitor so you could see it up on the, the screen. Because, yeah, otherwise, if you're not pushing to the right intensity, you're not going to get the same results. Otherwise, I would say if you're not looking at it, you're guessing. Um, and guessing doesn't really get you results. You might see results like we talked about earlier. It might be a side effect of what you're doing because you are burning more calories, but could you maximize your workout with the device? Absolutely. Um, so trainers out there who don't work at places like Orange Theory, um, if you work in a fitness facility or a gym or even at home and you want people to use these methods, encourage them, find some devices that you like and encourage them to get them and to use them. Teach them how to use them, but also show them how to share that data with you and you can drive results with those. Um, so there's a lot of cool devices out there. I actually wear a watch, I wear an activity tracker. And then when I work out, I use a MyZone tracker too. And it tracks on my uh, app. And most of the gyms that I go to use MyZone. So I'm always up on the TV. I'm like, oh, that's me over there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, agree hundred percent on the heart rate monitors. Uh, it's, it was a requirement when I was training people. If you wanted to train with me, you had to wear a heart rate monitor. It's the best way to gauge intensity, other than, of course, uh, facial expressions, feedback, verbal feedback, and all of that. But we want to get a feel for Oh, no, metabolic. I have mastered that this is hard face. Yeah, yeah. This oh, I could have five pounds in my hand and be like, oh, you be like, you okay? I'm like, no. We need years teaching these these uh, receivers in the NFL how to fake they got pushed. because right? they got, if we, Yeah, we're... You got to do the flailing arms like, oh, we'll you get them with right? the soccer players. <laughs> there you go. But, but you know, that the, the beauty of the heart rate monitor is, again, for those folks that don't want to get on a treadmill, don't want to get on a bike, et cetera, et cetera. Jenny mentioned it earlier. She mentioned circuit training. You can put together a circuit for your client where that heart rate monitor that takes you right through what we just talked about as a high and a low. I, I used to teach a class, a group class called Metabolic Playground. And if everybody had to wear a watch, everybody's name were on those stations that showed where their, uh, their, their zone was that we wanted to see at that station. And you can go all the way through, for example, like a squat thruster, right? I mean, that's going to jack that heart rate right up. Yeah. And then if you lay on the floor and foam roll your calf, it's going to drop real low. So you've got a way, there's always a way to create your programming, especially horizontally, you're going to get the heart rate down really fast. There's a way to create programming so that you sneak in the cardio and you sneak in the high intensity interval training. You just kill two birds with one stone. 
Yeah. And that's the thing. We sneak in a lot of stuff when we program for clients. They don't need to know what we're doing. Like I have a married couple that I've trained for six years now, um, darn near six years. And we trained this morning and they were like, oh, this is so hard. How is it so hard? We've been training these for so long because I'm always changing things up, right? You don't know what I'm doing, but I do. <laughs> and I have it all written down. I know exactly what we're doing this month. I know what we're doing next month. Ask me what we're doing next week. I can tell you, right? But we can sneak stuff in and keep them changing where they're engaged, right? It's not the same thing every time they come to see you, but they know your training style, the way you deliver it could be consistent. Um, but every time it's going to be a surprise. It's going to be different and it's going to keep them coming back. Well, and in the words of one of my mentors who we interviewed on an earlier podcast, give them what they ask for, sneak in what they need. Yep. Uh, and that was, that was Scott Hobson. Give them what they ask for, sneak in what they need. Keep the smarts under the table. They don't, they don't, need, they don't want to hear all that science stuff. You keep that under the table. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. If you ask, I can tell you, I'm not going to share. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm thinking we hit on some pretty big miss here. Uh, sure. Definitely some of the most common ones that I've heard. Uh, before we close out HIT, though, talk about EPOC. Because I think that's that afterburner thing that we, we, don't, that we often don't consider that, that comes with strength training, high-intensity interval training that you don't get with traditional modalities. Yeah, so EPOC, or exercise post-oxygen consumption, um, is something that I think people want to rely a little bit on when they think about interval training, but it is, it's just a, it's a, a, not a side effect. It's just a response to interval training, the way that you're challenging your metabolism and you're challenging your cells basically to keep up with the energy production. Um, when you're doing high, high intensity intervals, it requires more oxygen after you stop training. Um, so for example, at Orange Theory, we used to have people for a 50 minute or 55 minute class, you would leave there and for the next 24 to 36 hours, your body will be burning more calories just because the oxygen required to help replenish your energy systems, right? Is what's going to create that extra calorie burn. So now you're increasing your overall calorie burn. And if you're back here in two days, you're overlapping, right? So your body's still in epoch from your previous workout, you're back in two days and you're doing it again. So you're just constantly increasing your metabolism, right? And burning more calories than you typically would. Um, if you take four or five days off, you might have a day or two where you're not in epoch because your body has recovered. Um, but a lot of it comes back to energy systems and how our body creates energy. Stimulus um, has to be correct. You can't just go in there. Oh, I'm just going to walk. Yeah, I'm done. Okay. I got epoch. No, you didn't that we needed you to. That's why those classes or interval training takes you up into those high zones and then brings you back down at different intervals. Cause it's a novel stimulus, right? It shouldn't be the same every time, but if you don't push hard enough, if you don't uh, challenge your body enough, which changes over time, we talked about it earlier, right? Changing the program over time. After a month of doing something like interval training, you're going to come back and you're going to do the same exact thing that you did on day one. And you're going to be like, man, I only burned, you know, 60% as many calories and my heart rate didn't get up as high. I'm not good at this. No, you are good at this. That's the thing. Your body adapted to what you're doing, right? And there's that gas principle, right? Um, so you're now in the adaptation phase of the gas principle. Your body has adapted to what you're doing and become more efficient. So now what do you do? You change the stimulus, right? And it's not just load. It's not just speed. You don't go faster. There's other ways to challenge the stimulus and make something more intense or challenge your body in a new way. Um, so that's why programs have to have to change as you go, because that same resistance isn't gonna do anything to you in a month. Well said, and remember, again, we're coming back to the, the old cardio thing. You'd think I didn't like cardio, uh, but <laughs> that, that would be you, Jenny. But, the, but the, the, the same concept applies with treadmill, 
bicycle, et cetera. If we want yeah. EPOC, you know, you're, you're paying back oxygen debt. Well, what happens with a fast sprint and you're doing high intensity? You run out of oxygen, right? You go from aerobic and you pass through glycolytic and you end up at ATPPC because you're just grinding and you have nothing left. The same thing happens with strength training. Remember that it starts out aerobic and it very quickly becomes anaerobic. You ever walk out of the gym and you kind of get the shakes and you're like, oh my gosh, I really felt like I did something today. Well, you're way out of homeostasis. You're way out of whack. Same feeling you get after doing eight repeats on a treadmill, high and low, you get that shaky, whoa, I just, I do not feel like myself. I did something. Same thing. Your body's going to have to, to repay that oxygen debt. It's going to have to find itself back into a homeostatic static state. That's epoch. So it doesn't mean everybody needs to be crushed. By all means, don't anybody take that away from what Jenny and I are talking about. But if it's uh, something they enjoy and it's something that they can do safely, it's a great way to burn calories and lose fat. Absolutely. Make sure they're prepared to do it though, too, right? They got a proper <laughs> warm up, specific and general, and make sure you eat before you do that kind of training, right? Steady state, that's a little different. But if you're doing something that's high intensity, can you drive from Phoenix to Tucson with an empty gas tank? Good luck. I'll see you on the side of the road. Um, that's what I say to my athletes because I, every time, Every morning I train my athletes. How many of you guys ate today? There's at least four or five of them that do not raise their hands. I'm like, you're going to die today. I hope you enjoyed your last day of life, right? Because it's ridiculous. Your body can't handle that. And then people don't pay attention to how they feel, right? They push through it. They're like, oh, I feel pukey or oh, I feel lightheaded. Uh, that means something's wrong, right? That's your body telling you to sit down. <laughs> well, great stuff. What's part two about, Jenny? Part two, we are going to talk about the nom noms, the nutrition, the good stuff, <laughs> my favorite, right? Don't get me started on my candy corn obsession, guys. Um, I'm only about eight pounds deep in candy corn right now. And they just started selling it a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Chocolate. We all make mistakes, okay? Nobody's perfect yet. But yes, Chocolate. we're going to be talking about some nutrition myths, some things that you'll hear clients tell you, um, especially for you guys that are new out there. We're just trying to prepare you for what you, you're going to hear right? To give you an idea. So the more you can be prepared, the easier it'll be to respond to those questions. But really it's not to tell people that they're wrong, right? You're not there to tell clients, oh, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. It's, I want to help you understand this better, right? So maybe this is what you heard, but this is what it actually means. Um, and if you can help educate people, I'm all about educating people, empower them, give them the autonomy to go out there without you and do this on their own. They're going to love you to death for it. You know, they want to be able to do all the things that they want to do and not necessarily have to rely on somebody. I mean, we're there when they need them, but I want every client to go out into the world and know what they're doing and feel good about it. Well said, well said. We, we, I'll close with this before you, you don't have to ask me any last words, Dan, because I'm going to give them to you right now. <laughs> we are, a, we are a GPS and uh, our client programs in, we program in what our client says they want to achieve. Uh, we give some suggestions, turn right, turn left, go straight. Sometimes they don't take those suggestions and they keep going and they pass the turn and they turn left when they should have turned right. Our job is not to tell them, you messed up. Our job is to say recalculating. Yeah. When possible, make a illegal U-turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are there. We are there to, to ensure they achieve it. It might take a little longer because you didn't take the same turns that we suggested but you are going to get there and we're going to help you. Absolutely. Completely agree, you guys. So happy training out there. Hopefully you guys took a little something away from this. Uh, feel free to re-listen to this because I know we talked about a lot today, but I look forward to seeing you guys back for part two. But until then, 
we shall leave you with our words of advice. Make good choices. choices. <laughs> we'll be talking to you guys soon. Yes.